Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network. Welcome to Development Hell. For every horror movie that hits VOD, countless others end up DOA. Development Hell is the podcast dedicated to unearthing these cursed horror productions. We're going to find out what went wrong and then decide if these titles still stand a shot at the green light. I am your host, Josh Korngut. I am the managing editor of Dread Central. I am also a filmmaker in Toronto, Canada. This podcast is a proud member of the Dread Podcast Network. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Development Hell. Usually on this podcast, we talk about horror projects that didn't actually make it to the finish line. But every once in a while, we like to dig the brains behind some of our favorite voices in horror to hear what it takes to actually get a movie made these days. We've talked with the filmmakers behind titles like Alone With You, Werewolves Within, The Mortuary Collection, The Boy Behind the Door, and more. Today, we are speaking with director William Brent Bell. He's directed the upcoming horror release, Orphan First Kill. This is the prequel film to the 2009 Dark Castle Entertainment horror classic, Orphan. The new film stars Julia Stiles and Isabel Furman, and it sees a release on August 19th. You can catch Orphan First Kill in select theaters, on demand, and on Paramount+. Plus. William Brent Bell is also the director of some modern horror classics, such as Stay Alive, The Boy, and The Devil Inside. So please enjoy this interview with Orphan First Kill director, William Brent Bell. Hi, Brent. How's it going? It's going great. How you doing? I'm doing good. Can you do me a favor and introduce yourself? 
to the Dread Central audience? Well, my name is William Brent Bell, and I'm a filmmaker. I don't know if this is an appropriate first question, but it's the first question that comes to my heart, and it's, how does it feel that you got to make a Dark Castle movie? Oh, really cool. I mean, you know, Dark Castle wasn't hasn't been around for a while, and it was such a mainstay of horror for... I don't know, a, a good decade. And then, of course, decades before that when it really started. But um, it's so important when you make uh, genre movies to be surrounded by people who kind of understand and have a passion for the genre. Otherwise, you know, things can fall to the cracks because people don't really care about the horror as much. And and the politics become really tricky. But Dark Castle, you know, that's their brand. I mean, their brand is... Fun, fan-friendly horror, I think, is is what Alex Mm -hmm. Mace said to me um, a few years ago when they were kicking everything off again. And I think Orphan First Kill is kind of like exactly that. I have to agree with that. Before we get into Orphan First Kill, I'm just curious, do you have any other, outside of Orphan, do you have any other favorite Dark Castle properties or movies? There's a lot of things I loved about Ghost Ship. I mean, that opening sequence (laughs) (laughs) is crazy. (laughs) But Um, but I definitely liked those movies. Like, they were really fun, you know, back like 20 years ago or whenever that Mm -hmm. was. And then I think, I mean, Gothica was cool. It was cool. I remember seeing, you know, Robert Downey Jr. kind of in his Uh worst moments, like in a a cool film. Mm -hmm. And um, that opening sequence to Ghost Ship was awesome. (laughs) <laughs> and so yeah, it's like what? i'm excited for them because i feel like they're just getting going you know mm-hmm. um they've only done a few things really so far yeah. and i think this one you know this this is one of the first ones to kind of kick off their brand again yeah so, I, I i have a feeling it's gonna make a splash if you're okay with it maybe we can jump a little bit into orphan first kill congrats on this outrageous new movie outrageous. my first question is why do you think fans love orphan so much you know, it, that's interesting because I can just kind of speak to it as a fan. Um, I mean, it was a great movie. I mean, it's kind of really, it's it's um, stood the test of time pretty well. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, there's still dated aspects of it when you watch the film, but uh, it had such a great cast. It had an extraordinary cast for a genre movie. And then, you know, Isabel Furman is just kind of was unforgettable as that little girl. And, uh, and I, and, you know, of course, the movie had a great twist, which was really just, you know, an extension of her character, uh, yes. which just makes her character even that much more interesting. And, you know, uh, you watch it today and you just like, you don't see many kids that pull off what she did in that movie um, today. <laughs> no, never. Was it always mandatory that she would be coming back? No, I mean, it was, it was, it was not the, um, I would, I guess it wasn't the plan. I mean, when I came on board and they had just kind of really finished the script, they, um, they were, they had talked to her. I think the writers, uh, David Leslie Johnson McKittrick, mm-hmm. um, he had kept her in the loop and maybe Alex Mace as well with kind of drafts of the script, just because, you know, she was so important to the original. And the idea really was that she would have a cameo. I think that's, why I know in speaking to Paramount at one point, not too long ago, they were like, we couldn't believe that we got to buy this movie because why didn't Warner Brothers ever make this movie or make, you know, and, and they were like, it's because they, they just assumed, yeah, I mean, why would you make the movie without her? And we can't make it with her. So let's let the rights go. And then Dark Castle ran with that. You know, at first it was kind of, the focus was the script, but it was going, well, what are we going to, it was kind of like we were tabling it because nobody wanted to quite tackle it because it was such an impossible idea of like what to do with Esther. 
And, you know, there were ideas of do we completely reinvent her and put her in a blonde wig? I mean, she's kind of a con artist, kind of a chameleon in a way. Isabel reached out to me just because she was excited that I came on board. And then we saw each other and that was the first time I met her. And, and, you know, and I was like, oh, wow, you still look the same. And, um, And then she told me how passionate she was about still wanting to come on board and play the character, which is crazy because I never would have dragged her, you know, into the idea or tried to talk her into it because, you know, that just would have been a nightmare if she wasn't a thousand percent into it. It would have made everybody's job harder. It would have made the cast question what they were doing if she was, you know, not excited about it, but she was so excited about it. It just allowed everybody else to go great. You know, then we can just do our jobs. And, um, but anyway, when she told me she wanted to do it and that same day I started getting really intense messages from fans on social media, like, you know, death threat stuff going, you can't make this movie without, you know, Isabel Furman. And so after that week, and then we went and had dinner and, and we went through the script and we talked about like, and I was like, I think, you know, we can do it. I, I have a bunch of ideas. I had done similar stuff, but in the opposite way, made a guy bigger and things like that in a movie. And so I said, look, we really need to like take this seriously, her, her being in the movie. Um, it's like this movie is so much a fan movie. It's so much about the emotional connection to that character to bring in a new person is, is just not going to be the same. And, you know, and I just felt really confident that we could do it without it being, you know, a full on CG crazy situation that would have put an extra zero on, on the budget. And, and even then I don't think it would have worked, but, um, and so everybody wanted, everybody loved the idea. It just took about a year of convincing um, and tests and, and, you know, on every level. Um, and then right, you know, it was going to be either her or we had been doing casting parallel. It was either going to be her or we were going to use a child. And um, until literally just, you know, the second they saw the final test I did, um, and then it just got kind of quiet. And then they called and they're like, we're making the deal with Isabel. It's like, it's all, it's, you know, it's all, we're moving forward. And it was just awesome. And because um, that test, especially, I got to kind of show what we were going to do. It still was not quite fully there. But um, but as soon as we finished that day of shooting, and it was a, it was hilarious. It was crazy. But um, just a, one day of shooting of her, I did it like a teaser trailer. And um, I called up Alex Mace pulled over on the side of the road. And I was just like, it's going to work. It's amazing. Like we can't do this movie in any way. You know, once she started acting and started playing with me, like, um, and we, and I was just like, all right, this is, it's Esther again. This is crazy. It was, it was so cool. So um, looking back, it, it, it was, it would have been just as much a feat, if not a bigger feat to introduce, forget introducing a new character, which would have been a bummer sort of, um, but a 10, 12 year old actress trying to play 30, um, a 30 year old psychopath, when you really look at what she had to do in the film, it would have been even more difficult than, than anything we did technically, um, with, with Isabel, I think. Mm-hmm. How would you describe the tone of the orphan franchise? Well, I think it's evolving. I mean, I think the original film was, um, you know, our perspective was more, the victim, it was more mom's perspective and we didn't know um, who, or the family's perspective and we didn't really know who Esther was. And so there's a bit of mischievousness there and seeing what she did and how 
cruel and kind of uh, evil she could be. And in this story, we're in on that secret. And so it allowed us to kind of have a little bit more fun because now we're seeing the world sort of more from Esther's perspective, in which case she's a grown up having to dress up like a child. That's not fun for her. You know, that's um, frustrating. And she's only doing it as a means to an end, but then she kind of gets stuck in it. And, um, and then the idea, you know, that there's twists and turns in the story. So it just allowed us to kind of have a little more fun. Almost, I think, you know, when I first came on board and, and I read it, the second one and this one, and it was, uh, you know, the tone shifted a bit. You know, we kind of compared it to say like Thor, like the original Thor movie was very earnest. And the second one was much more fun. Yet it was the same actor, you know, and all of a sudden he became funny. Um, so, you know, it, it kind of played into that a little bit. And um, so I think it's it's a it's a dark, mm -hmm. sinister um story on many levels certainly the psychology of her and what she goes through and um mm -hmm. the kind of heartbreak even which usually leads to her anger and violence mm -hmm. and um but also fun without being too fun um, i mean i thought it was fun as hell one of my favorite things about it was that i perceived it to be politically incorrect without being problematic was that a tough balance for you to find yeah i mean i i think do you mean like um a, what appears to be a child having almost a relationship with an adult. <laughs> yeah, that's part of it. Well, that certainly was like, there's a scene that didn't make it into the movie that, you know, maybe we'll release one day. It's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty funny. It was, it was pretty too funny for the movie, but at the same time, it was also quite racy. And um, the, I, yeah, I think we, we get away with it. Um, I'm not, yeah, I don't worry about any of those things. Whereas I did, early on. And I think, um, there were adjustments made to where it's like, and also, you know, knowing that, knowing that one, it's not a child actress and two, the character is not a child, even though we don't go extremely far in how kind of racy or adult she is. Um, it's still kind of more emotional. And, um, I think we get away with it. And then, yeah, there was, there's also kind of the aspect of, um, her size and her condition, you know, which, I don't know. I mean, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I've seen people get in hot water over pretty small things in movies. I and, think you get um, away with it. I, I think I, so. It's, it's such an interesting balance that you found. It's kind of refreshing. I hope so. I think so. Generally on this podcast, I like to talk about horror movies that didn't make it out of development. And I'm wondering, have you ever had a project that never survived development hell? I've had a hundred projects that haven't um survived the um i think in the horror space the two big ones actually were series that um one i sold to usa with jason blum and one to fox with chris morgan and um and they were both you know horror series and this was about three or four years ago, maybe four or five years ago, mm -hmm. when still people were networks or, or at that time it was more networks even, but streamers, everybody outlets were a little bit more scratching their head because they didn't understand how to do a series that kind of revolved around horror. And every, cause every, every time I would pitch, I mean, we sold these ideas and um, wrote them pilots and it was, everything was going great. 
Um, and at that time, this was 2016, actually, I think. Uh, at that time, USA and TNT were both planning on having horror nights, like Friday night horror and Sunday night horror, like where it would be a block of just horror shows. And um, I think TNT was going to be, M. Night was, was like the umbrella for the whole night. And, um, and then both those things didn't happen. The, the test, the test um, subject for Fox was the Exorcist series, which was the one that got our spot. Our show was called Haunted and um, the one on Fox. And it was like the night the boy came out is when they told me it wasn't moving forward and the Exorcist was. And, um, and it just was one of those situations where we sold it in the room to Fox. They bought it, you know, in the room. And, um, and then they, the writing of it just was so easy because it just worked so well. And everybody was so excited about it. Um, until that last second, um, which, and you know, what I was going to say is a lot of times with horror television, then especially they're like, ah, we don't really understand how you can do horror on television because you have to kill so many people and then you just kill off all your characters. And it's like, well, no, that's not really true. You know, um, Ozark is almost a horror show. Um, Stranger Things certainly is a horror show, but that, you know, all the characters have pretty much survived. Um, so it, it's just about making things scary and fun. And, um, depending on your tone, um, I still think even the darkest stuff is fun. Um, and, and I think they've kind of caught up to it now much better with, with whether it be how much stranger things as how exciting it's been to even things like the outsider, um, you know, kind of that spectrum shows you that quote unquote horror on television is it's just drama with another degree of um, madness one way or another. And, mm -hmm. um, and then the show with Jason Blum was called Posthuman, and it was like my kind of take on zombies. Same thing, we, we sold that to USA and, and um, it all went great. And they shifted, you know, they shifted gears uh, with the, the, their personnel and, um, and then the show kind of got hung up. And once, you know, once things get hung up, they, it's hard to shake them out of development hell, like what you're saying. And, um, and still when I would go see Jason, like for a couple of years after that, you know, they'd be like, by the way, we're still doing that show. I mean, we are, it's five seasons. It's, we're doing it. Um, but we never did it. It still could though. I mean, it's still mm -hmm. not been done. It's still like a great um, series. But it's up to them. Like you can't take it elsewhere. You don't, you know, I, um, at one point with haunted, we, we did try to take it a few places and, um, and then that show evil mm -hmm. is, I mean, haunted was about one haunting over the course of a season at a, at a house, um, of this family it's based on a true story, based on a book called the, um, I can't remember the name of the book now, but we call the mm -hmm. show haunting and, but it, that show evil seems you know it's more of a network show but it's mm -hmm. kind of similar um in a way to you know two people investigating kind of a case that is uh, supernatural and horrific so at one point roy lee's company was um mm -hmm. you know looking at finding a way to do it and um it just you know it always you know the producers deal they left fox 
and you know, Chris Morgan, they left Fox to go to um, NBC. And then now they're actually at Sony with their TV side. So, you know, that, it, that's just kind of the nature of the beast. You just see the, the, everybody involved kind of scatter. And then there's the project sitting at the, at the studio or the, um, or the production company or the financing company. And it has no champions, you know, mm-hmm. same thing happened with orphan first kill. Like, huh? um, we sold the movie to Paramount and then I went to London to shoot the film I just am finishing, which is called Lord of Misrule. And while I was in London, you know, they changed regimes at Paramount. And then all of a sudden Orphan First Kill got kind of pushed aside, um, even though we'd already, you know, made the deal for it. And and then by the time I got back and I talked to the new the people in charge of it, and they were like, Oh, we're just we're just getting everybody, you know, up to speed with the movie because you know it's all new people sort of at paramount and uh and I, it, but it was great and i you know and they were like but we love it so much and they just geeked out on the movie and then um about two weeks later my agent was like hey check the trades and that whole regime paramount players got ousted and then all of a sudden we had nobody again for this movie and uh and then it wasn't until you know a month ago that we found out that we were doing this release like this. So um, anyway, it was almost in development hell. I mean, it wasn't a script. It was a movie that almost got lost the way that, you know, we're seeing other movies kind of get lost right now. Yeah. That's making um, a lot of news lately. Yeah. I mean, it was really, you know, I'm, I feel really fortunate. And today we got to see the whole marketing plan for the movie and it was amazing. Um, and, um, and we've been seeing it all over the world, all the different countries there. Everybody's really having fun and excited about it, but but back to those shows. Yeah. It, um, I, I tried to call once I, I talked to Cooper at, at Blumhouse about, I wanted to take the show post-human and make it a movie. I still would. Um, and he was like, oh, I don't know if I see that. And and then we just kind of dropped the conversation, but um, it's still a very, it could be a very contained, cool kind of zombie real time movie. Um, I hope that you get to make it. And I hope that you sort of keep pushing for it. You never know. I mean, it seems like you had a big surprise a month or two ago with Orphan. Yeah, it uh-huh. happens. Uh, it happens all the time. I mean, as soon as I think a project is not going to move forward and I turn my attention to something else, then I get a phone call and it's like, you know, we're doing it. I consider, by the way, I mean, I could, you know, go through t- literally 25 horror projects that are, that went through, that have, you know, that are in development hell. <laughs> but that's a, another <laughs> conversation. Is there an, like a fantasy IP in the horror universe that you'd love to take on a franchise or a sequel or a remake of any kind. This is kind of a fantasy one, but I think it's also doable, but I don't know for sure if it's fully clever enough with it is a movie called the other, which is based on a, um, a novel from 1971. It was a you know bestseller for like six months. And then they made this film in 1972 about these two twin brothers who live in the country and one's sweet and one's not so sweet. And it's this amazing movie that is not very well known and Fox owns the rights. And at one point I was going to do it with Roy Lee's company. And actually the movie Goodnight Mommy came out, which was a cool movie. But I remember sitting in the theater and just looking around at people about five minutes in or 10 minutes in. I was like, what's going on here? Like, this is the other, like, this is exactly what, you know, Uh-oh. but um, it was so much like, but anyway, I've always loved that movie. And it's, it's got a tone that I really just uh, gravitate towards, It's you know, the tone that's kind of in that space of the boy and somewhat mm-hmm. maybe orphan. Um, cool. 
And I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you should. It's mm-hmm. great. It's creepy. Yeah. Uh, one of the last things I have to bring up today is myself and so many people I know are such big fans of Stay Alive. And I'm wondering, is there any chance we'll see a continuation of that in the future? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, um, right uh, a few months ago, you know, the rights to, to it shifted. Um, you know, Disney had it and Spyglass and then Spyglass changed and those guys all went to MGM and, um, and then they came back and started a new Spyglass about a year or two ago and they acquired, and so Paramount, no, so they did Scream. So they acquired Dimensions Library and Scream was their first new movie. And so then they, the weekend after Scream came out, um, I had a meeting with them about doing a sequel to Stay Alive. And, and it was great. I mean, um, and, and I'm just busy. <laughs> so it's like, um, so I mean, probably in the next week or two, we'll have, we're going to have another meeting about it. Um, because it's, 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 you know, the, it's one of those movies to me that, um, mm-hmm. I mean, I love so much and I love the characters and it just kind of scratched the surface of the concept because of, um, the size and scope of the movie. Uh-huh. And, um, and it kind of, you know, at the time, uh, the producers were like, nobody's going to watch, you know, kids playing a video game or, or, or care about, you know, and the video game turned out to be one of the best parts of the movie that, mm-hmm. you know, we hoped would be part of the story. And that was the idea. But, you know, I mean, when we made that movie, um, people weren't being paid to, not only were they not being paid to win video game tournaments, millions and millions of dollars but they certainly weren't nobody thought twitch you know you would watch people play video games yeah and um so the world's only expanded like exponentially and that story's um just as relevant as it was and then there's just so many fun ways to you know i wouldn't call it a legacy sequel Uh but i would but in a way i mean i think there's a, a hint of that that would be amazingly fun. And I know everybody in the cast from the original um, would love to dip their toe in it and um, and then, you know, creating a whole new um, mythology for it. Anyway, it's... it's Yeah. Do fans I approach so. you about that movie a lot? Well, every day. Every day. <laughs> if, I, if I check any kind of social media <laughs> every single day. I love that. Good. I'm so glad. Show that to Paramount or whoever needs to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, this has been amazing. Thank you for chatting with today and congrats on your new film. It's Thank outrageous, you. as I said. Everyone should yes. watch it. And yeah, best of luck. Thank you so much for listening to Development Hell. If you enjoy this podcast, then please do us a major favor of leaving us five stars and writing a positive review. It really makes all the difference in the world. We'll see you next week with a brand new episode of Development Hell. Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. 
Auto Trader.